Welcome to episode 262 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, the comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny, intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, We're talking pounds of meat for free plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it, especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood. There's a lack of transparency. It can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash IF podcast and use IF podcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass fed, grass finished ground beef, or one pound of grass fed, grass finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash IF podcast and use code IF podcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash podcast with code podcast. I will put all this information in the show notes. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons 
reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 262 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I'm doing great. It is a beautiful day, and I'm loving it. I haven't been outside yet. Oh, <laughs> it's sunny and warm and just the perfect spring day. And so it made me so happy to be out there. If if you can walk barefoot outside on the driveway, that's my kind of happiness. Oh, yeah. I mean, now I'm getting flashbacks to childhood. Yes. Do you put a wreath on your door? Only at Christmas. Okay. I have discovered the wonderful world of wreaths on Etsy. Oh, that's fun. Do you ever shop on Etsy? You know, sometimes... Like when I need a special kind of pillow, for example, like I found this fabric that I loved and I had the name of it. And so I went to Etsy and sure enough, there was someone selling pillows made out of that fabric for a lot less than I could hire someone to make them. I mean, I could make pillows myself, but I no longer have a sewing machine. When we moved the last time, mine didn't make the cut. I'm at the point I'd rather just pay someone to do it for me. But I got pillows on Etsy. I love Etsy. You can find like, if you want something very specific... You can find it. And I found this amazing, actually, it might have been a few different companies, but I found like one girl that makes handmade wreaths. And so I I made Disney inspired ones for all the seasons. Well, that's really fun. I think I've seen them on Instagram. I mean, I know I have seen them on Instagram. I have seen your wreaths on Instagram. (laughs) I think I've posted all of them except the summer one. Ooh, it's exciting. You love the summer one. It's really pretty. Yeah. Like what makes it like super exciting in Melanie's world? Have you been to Disneyland? Never Disneyland, only Disney World. Okay. Have you heard of World of Color? No. Are you familiar with the setup of Disneyland? No. I know it's a lot smaller than Disney World. You've been to Disney World, I imagine. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love Disney World. I just know it's smaller. That's all I know about it. It's smaller and it's the original. Yeah. So it's two parks. It's Disneyland and California Adventure. The weird thing about Disneyland, though, is if you've grown up going to Disney World and going to Magic Kingdom, Disneyland is like the same thing. Like some of the stuff is the exact same, but then some of the stuff is like slightly different. So it's kind of like when you're in your dream and 
Like something's just off. You know, it's just like how here in when I was a teacher, Columbia County, where I taught, had one elementary school plan that they built for several years. Like every elementary school had that same plan, but they were all slightly different. Like where a hallway was, they decided, oh, that was not a good place for a hallway. So they closed it or whatever. So it was like you felt like and it was the same as model as like my elementary school. So I'd always felt slightly lost. Yeah, I get it. That's it. It's like it's weird because you're like, this is right, but not. Yeah, yeah. Well, the house I'm moving into, the whole little neighborhood has exactly the same house plan built over and over, but with different colors. So I bet when I start meeting people and getting to know them, it's going to feel wacky. Oh, wow. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The other park is called California Adventure. This comparison is not going to make any sense to you because you haven't seen it. But there's this show called World of Color, and it is the most magical thing. It's like it's water and color. And they project Disney clips and play music, but the color is the most, it's like the experience of color incarnate in magical fountains of overwhelming epicness. And that is what I tried to embrace in my summer wreath. Well, that sounds really pretty. I can't wait to see it. When do you put it out? Like June? I decided I'd put everything out on the day the season started. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think I learned this year when the season started. You know, it's not always the same number day. Did you know that? What? Wait, explain. It has to do, it's it's astronomical. It has to do with the position of the sun and length of the day. And like, I think it's, it can be very one way or another. Oh, man. That's, <laughs> okay. Okay. I was also reflecting on this morning time, because I was thinking about how we both show up at the time to start this podcast. In theory... When did they decide time? Like, it could it have been, like, different? I mean, I guess they could have divided it differently. Yeah. Like, when did they decide noon? Well, it's like, technically, when you're, when the sun is directly overhead, they call that noon. Depending on, but it, I mean, it does, but it's based on, like, a certain time of the year. I don't know. Like, I just looked up spring. The first day of spring in the Northern Hemisphere can either be March 19th, March 20th, or March 21st. It has to do with when it's the equinox, which is when, at whatever point they use to judge. See, I'm telling you what, teaching elementary school just absolutely lets you know a lot of these things. (laughs) It never came up when they decided noon? Like when they decided? I mean, I know it's based on when, when the sun is directly overhead at whatever time of the year that is. I don't know. I can't remember. It must have been some day, though, because every day would be slightly different. I assume. It's when they came up with clocks. Once they came up with clocks and they were able to keep the time, I mean, of course, they were not accurate, but they, it was all kind of a rough estimate. I'm sure there there was no, until we got to the modern era, there was no, like, conformity, if that makes sense. It varied. Oh, the clocks all around. Like, there was no, like, here's the time it is everywhere in the world at this exact moment. Before we got to the point where we could communicate from place to place, I mean, it's possible every place had a different noon. Before the advent of railways in the 1800s. Oh, my goodness. See? I just know so many, so many random things. All time was local. Noon was simply when the sun was directly overhead wherever you were in what is called solar time. Right? Isn't that what I kind of just said? I didn't know it was the railroad, but that makes sense. I knew there was a reason everyone suddenly synchronized. It makes total sense that it was the railroad. Yeah, time was pretty much like local. And then they decided this is where it's, this. I, I, whenever that was, that's when they decided, here's what we're going to call noon based on this. And then everybody just went along. Before that, you would just, when you traveled to another town, you would simply change your watch. I learned something else that was determined by railroads. That relates to diet. What's that? It's one of the main reasons we eat muscle meat and not like the organs and different parts of the animal. Had to do with shipping and how they kept it cold. Yeah, convenience. That makes sense. A lot of things are convenience related, aren't they? Yep. But it's easiest to do. Very interesting. See, I just refined my knowledge a little bit more and you learned some new things. I know. So much to learn. There really is. And you realize, you know, the things that you don't know when you start learning them. You're like, how did I never know that? It's a little bit stressful to think about because you could pick any one topic and you could probably literally just study that topic for your entire life. Well, I mean, but that's what people do. Experts in fields. Like you could study leaves and 
just studied leaves. Yeah. I mean, Chad studies organic and heterocyclic chemistry. Most people are probably like, I've never even heard of heterocyclic chemistry. Yeah. So (laughs) never be bored. Always something to learn. Anything else new or shall we jump into everything for today? Yeah, let's get started. Well, actually, our first question kind of relates to all of this a little bit, and it's not a fasting related question, but we got a really fun email from a listener because Jen and I will often go on tangents about how we say words the same or differently. And so Sarah emailed us and said, the subject was the way you say words. And she said, hi, okay, you guys keep talking about the different way you say words. So have you ever taken the New York Times dialect quiz? It's so fun. You should take it together before or after podcasting or with friends because it's fun to see the differences. So we both took this. What I thought was so interesting is, Jen, when you were taking it and it and it shows you all of those words, like I immediately picked out my answer and a lot of the other words I'd never even heard of. I had heard of a lot of them. There weren't very many that were unfamiliar to me, but it was very easy to know which one to choose, which is interesting because I did grow up in the mountains of Virginia. So I wondered how that would impact my results, but it was really funny what it said. It pinpointed me as being from Augusta, Richmond County, which is where I was born and where I live right now. But I didn't live here my like all the time. Like I was always here. My dad was always here. But my parents got divorced when I was little, and I moved to Virginia. And so I went to all of elementary school through high school there, went to college in North Carolina, and then came back here after college and have been in this area. But I mean, it knew Augusta, Richmond County. I was like, this is bizarre. Yeah, we actually both got Augusta, which is... Yeah, that's funny. You got Augusta, Montgomery, and Huntsville. Oh, no, 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 no. That's me. Wait, that's me. I got Augusta, Huntsville, and Montgomery. You got Augusta, Columbus, and Jackson. Yeah. But the fact that it pulled out Augusta, I did this in my community, in the Delay Don't Deny community. If anybody's looking for that community, by the way, jenstevens.com slash community, that gets you there. But we, we did it there, and it was so interesting to hear people, what they got. Like, it, it would come up with their little place. It was fun to do it as a community. You did it after receiving this email? Yeah, I just popped it up because we like fun things in the in the Delay Not Deny community. So I popped it in and said, what, what do y'all get? And people liked sharing what they got. I shared the link there. And and like the people from Canada, they were like, well, I mean, it, it gave them like their closest U.S. Like one person from Canada got, I don't know, somewhere in Washington State because that was the closest Anyway, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad that, Sarah, thank you for sharing it. It was fun to do and fun to share with the community. And apparently we say things pretty similarly, Melanie. I know. It was weird for me because I grew up in Atlanta and then Memphis and then L.A. I didn't get anything by there. So, well, I got, yeah, Augusta's the closest. So for listeners, we will put a link in the show notes. I mean, I feel like Atlanta's right in the middle of all of that. Yeah. But it's funny that both of us got Augusta and and you didn't get Atlanta, or neither of us got Atlanta. I think Atlanta says things all weird. Sorry, Atlanta. (laughs) That's all I can come up with from that. Or Atlanta is also maybe more of a mixture of people from all over. It's very metropolitan, people from, I wonder what the Atlanta dialect would be. Now I'm curious. Because I just, I know there's people in Atlanta from really everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Actually, and my my Huntsville is sort of, I mean, it's close-ish to Memphis. I'm surprised I didn't get any Virginia in there, but. I'm surprised I didn't get Memphis. Yeah. It's funny, and because some of those words, you know, and, and there was a couple times I was like between a couple. I'm like, well, I know what I probably should say based on where I live, but I actually say this other one, so I'm going to pick it. And I did. I always picked what I really said. It was fun to see words that had never occurred to me that it was a thing. Like the question, like. Do you say icing or frosting? Like all the options for that. Like what did you put for that? I think I put either is right. Me too. Like it never occurred to me that they were like different. <laughs> I wish they'd had dressing and stuffing. Oh, that would have been a good one. That wasn't there. Which do you say? I would say both. If I could do a sliding scale, it would lean more towards stuffing, but I don't mind either. See, we totally say dressing because we don't stuff it. In our family, we don't stuff the bird. We don't stuff it in the bird. So, like, we've had big debates around the Thanksgiving table about y'all better not call this stuffing. (laughs) Because stuffing is stuffed in. Dressing is on the side. And so, we. I mean, if I bake a turkey, I stuff it with, like, 
chopped up onions and garlic and aromatics to flavor the bird. But we don't take, I mean, I actually then take that out and make gravy out of it. Whatever was in there while I cooked it goes into the gravy to flavor the gravy. I make some really good gravy, but the dressing is cooked on the side in a casserole dish. Yeah, that's the way it's always been for us. What did you say for fireflies and lightning bugs? We say lightning bugs. Okay, I said fireflies and lightning bugs. It's just interesting because like for listeners, when you take it for these answers, there'll be like 10 options. Some of them I had never. Which is why it's so odd that we both got Augusta. Mm-hmm. The people in the community got so many different things. So it's clearly not like everyone gets Augusta. People like were like, I got the exact town in California where I live. So fascinating. Yeah. And when you get your results, it's also really a little bit interactive. Like you can see all these different versions of your results. Oh, and it shows you what you're not like. <laughs> like I'm super not like what was it, Michigan or something. I was not like. Milwaukee, Grand Rapids, and Detroit. Yes. Oh, I am not like Minneapolis, St. Paul, Detroit. Oh, and Seattle. That's where I was the most different. I was the most different. Seattle, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Detroit. So I was laughing out loud with some of them. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. (laughs) Because there'd be the question and there'd be all the answers. And then one of them would just say, I have no word for this. (laughs) And that was me for some of them. Uh, Good times. So, listeners, we will put a link to this in the show notes. And have fun with it, because it make your whole family take it and see if y'all get the same thing. That would be fun. Yeah, I'm going to email this to my, or text this to my family after this. That will be interesting. Okay. So fun. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get 15% off my favorite blue light blocking glasses ever. So, I am often asked, what are my favorite quote, biohacking products, and something I truly, honestly cannot imagine my life without are blue light blocking glasses. So in today's modern environment, we are massively overexposed to blue light. It's a stimulating type of light, which can lead to stress, anxiety, headaches, and in particular, sleep issues. Blue light actually stops our bodies from producing melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. So our exposure to blue light can completely disrupt our circadian rhythm, make it hard to fall asleep, make it hard to stay asleep, and so much more. Friends, I identify as an insomniac. I would not be able to sleep without my blue light blocking glasses. I also stay up late working and wearing blue light blocking glasses at night has made it so I can do that and still fall asleep. My absolute favorite blue light blocking glasses on the market are Bond Charge, formerly known as Blue Blocks. Bond Charge makes an array of blue light blocking glasses in all different designs so you can truly find something that fits your style and reap all of the benefits of blue light blocking. They have their clear computer glasses. You can wear those during the day, especially if you're looking at screens all day to help with anxiety, headaches, and stress. They have their light sensitivity glasses. Those are tinged with a special yellow color, scientifically proven to boost mood, and they block even more blue light. Those are great for the day or evening. And then they have their blue light blocking glasses for sleep. Those are the ones that I put on at night while working before bed. Oh my goodness, friends. It's something you truly have to experience. You put on these glasses and it's like you just tell your brain, okay, it's time to go to sleep soon. They also have amazing blackout sleep masks. Those block 100% of light with zero eye pressure. I wear this every single night and I don't know how I would sleep without it. And you can get 15% off site-wide. Just go to bondcharge.com and use the coupon code IFPODCAST to save 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com with the coupon code IFPODCAST to save 15%. All right, now back to the show. Shall we jump into some fasting-related questions? Absolutely. We have a question from Rebecca, and the subject is ADHD meds and elevated blood glucose levels. She says, Hi, Jen and Melanie. I was formally diagnosed with ADHD last year, and I was prescribed a well-known stimulant medication after some discussions with my doctor. I've been taking the medication only on weekdays for about five to six months and have seen huge improvements in my quality of life and mental health. I am 29 years old, have a late night eating window of four to five hours, usually starting to eat anywhere between 6 to 8 p.m., eat mainly whole foods cooked at home, meats, fruits, veggies, grains, etc., but do enjoy an occasional restaurant meal some weekends or a dessert here and there. I have been clean fasting since November of 2019, lost 69 pounds, and have kept it off, yay! 
I'm also relatively active. I stand all day at my standing desk, move around frequently, and then go for about a three to four mile walk with my dog every day after work before I eat my first meal. Last year, before the ADHD meds, I used my Nutrisense CGM, thank you for the rec, Melanie, for three months and learned so, so much about my body. I got the itch to do it again, and so I ordered more, popped one of those bad boys on, and was shocked to see how different my levels were from last year. I'm now on my third CGM this time around and have seen consistent numbers or patterns in all three CGMs, so I know it isn't just a fluke. Before, my fasting blood glucose levels in the morning were averaging in the low 100s to 90s, and then throughout the day, as I got deeper into my fast, they would steadily drop into the 80s and then sometimes into the 70s. Then when I ate, my glucose levels would usually go to 110 to 130 and would almost always stay under 140. If I did have a larger glucose spike, I would recover relatively quickly. Now it is completely different. Even though I clean fast all day, my glucose levels almost never get below 100. I wake up and my glucose levels are usually around 120 to 130. Then I take the medication and my glucose levels go up to 130 to 140 or even higher and stay up there for about five hours and then will finally start to decrease. But even in the descent, it never gets below 100, usually not even below 115 until I go for my daily walk. After my walk, my levels will drop to around 100 or in the high 90s if I'm lucky. Then when I eat, my glucose levels spike like crazy, almost always at least to 150 or 160, or sometimes higher if I eat anything even remotely higher carb, and then will stay mostly high throughout the night while I sleep. Sleep average is around 135, but will oscillate above and below this number throughout the night. I've tried to eat right before my daily walk so that the exercise helps to blunt the glucose spike of my first meal. But if I do this, one, I am forcing myself to eat when I'm not hungry, and two, my blood glucose levels never get below 110 because I'm not exercising fasted. Any thoughts on this? What is better, blunting the spike with a walk but never getting below 110 or taking a walk, getting my glucose levels down, and then eating and having a larger spike? On the weekends, when I don't take the medication, I thought that my levels would go back to the way they were before, but they don't. They are still about the same as during the week, but maybe slightly better. I assume this means that the stimulants are still affecting my glucose levels even after two days of not taking them. Naturally, I was stunned and slightly scared about what I was seeing, so I googled it, and apparently stimulant medications are known to raise blood glucose levels. I'm so surprised that I've never heard this or that it isn't more widely discussed especially because the effects, at least in my case, are quite significant. Why do these stimulant medications cause the higher blood glucose levels throughout the day during my fast and then the more exaggerated spikes when I eat my meals? What is the mechanism behind this? Is it the same mechanism behind what raises our blood glucose when we eat, or is it different? What does this mean for insulin? Are my insulin levels raised this entire time too? What are the possible implications? Is this something that could result in diabetes? Do these numbers mean I'm potentially pre-diabetic? The medicine truly has made a massively positive impact on my life, but I also don't know how these higher glucose levels will affect my health long-term. Any helpful info or advice you can provide would be greatly appreciated. I'm hoping that this discussion will make other people with ADHD aware of this critically under-discussed issue. By the way, I do plan to talk to my doctor about this, but don't necessarily have high hopes since neither my primary care physician or my psychiatrist said anything about the topic when I started the meds. Thank you both so much for everything you do. You have no idea how much you have impacted my life. Red Heart, Rebecca. You know, Melanie, this was so interesting, and I think it shows just how much goes on in our bodies, but before people had CGMs, people had no idea. I know. That's what this is showing me. It's showing me that this has probably been going on for so many people, but people just don't know because they they don't see the data, but Rebecca has the data. That is such a good point. Yeah, for listeners, we talk about CGMs a lot, but they are continuous glucose monitors, and you put them on your arm and they measure the interstitial fluid of your cells and give you a essentially 24-7 view of your blood sugar levels. Like Jen just said, they can be really eye-opening because you can realize things that you had no idea are affecting you or that, you know, that your blood sugar levels are reacting to 
diet or lifestyle or exercise and you, you know, didn't even know. What's so interesting is like the difference between hyperglycemia and hypoglycemia. Like I feel like people can more often become aware of hypoglycemia because you can get really symptomatic from that. You feel it. Yeah. But hyperglycemia, not necessarily. So Rebecca, thank you so much for your question. I thought I knew what was going on here and then I Googled it and it was what I thought. (laughs) So with stimulant medications, well, it's interesting because some studies actually find that stimulant medications reduce blood sugar, but a lot show that they can increase blood sugar, which is what you're experiencing. So I'll put a link into the show notes to one interesting study. It's a really long title. It's um, methylphenidate has mild hyperglycemic and hypokalemia effects and increases leukocyte and neutrophil counts. And Rebecca actually told us the medication she's taking. So I'm not going to comment on what she's taking specifically, but there are a few different types of stimulant medications and they likely have a similar effect in this regard. So as stimulants, they activate our body's stress response. So our sympathetic nervous system. So they can encourage the release of cortisol and epinephrine and norepinephrine. And that signaling to the body can encourage the body to release glucose from the liver because it interprets the situation as needing fuel. So kind of like the fight or flight response. So some people who are on these medications, it basically just creates a situation where your liver is consistently keeping your blood sugar levels higher. So the study I just mentioned it found, and then it also summarized a few other studies, and it found that in general, there's around a 22% increase in blood glucose levels for people on specifically methylphenidate, which is Ritalin, I think. So, so yes, that is probably what is happening. To answer your questions, what is the mechanism? It's the liver releasing glucose. So is it the same mechanism behind what raises our blood glucose when we eat, or is it different? It's different in that when we eat, we can immediately get like a blood glucose spike from what we just ate rather than what was already stored in the liver and or gluconeogenesis. So the liver creating new glucose because it needs it. So when you're eating, it can be coming from what you ate actually in addition to the liver. So it's a little bit different. What does this mean for insulin? Are my insulin levels raised this entire time too? Quite possibly. You might want to actually get a fasted insulin test because our pancreas can respond to high blood sugar levels and pump out insulin to try to reduce them. So it is possible that you are releasing insulin to try to bring down those levels, but your liver just keeps pumping out glucose. That actually is um, not good. (laughs) And that's why there's a transition from, you know, being non-diabetic to pre-diabetic to diabetic as you are transitioning, you know, as your body is constantly experiencing these higher blood sugar levels, your pancreas is working to keep them down with insulin. But if you just keep on that train, it it can just get worse and worse. And so you can end up diabetic. So is this something that could result in diabetes? Do these numbers mean I'm potentially pre-diabetic? So technically by the levels, yes, you are pre-diabetic because a fasting blood sugar level of 99 or less is considered normal. Pre-diabetic is 100 to 125. So you definitely fall within that range. Over 126 or higher indicates you have diabetes. And I mean, she said that, what is it during the day? Is it above? So now when she wakes up, the glucose levels are usually around 120 to 130. So, and then they go up to 130 or 140. So actually your levels right now are diabetic levels. So I would not take this lightly. I'm not, I'm not trying to scare you. It's, this is empowering. <laughs> Reframe. This is very empowering that you've done the, the CGMs and you've realized this. I would probably find an endocrinologist to look into this more. Also, maybe, okay, not a doctor. I'm not saying change your medication. I would speak with your doctor though, and maybe see if he can reduce your medication. I don't know what dosage you're on. Maybe that's a possibility. 
Something I will say, and I feel like I might get negative feedback for this, but I had Dr. Michael Platt on the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, and he has a book called Adrenaline Dominance, and he talks a lot about this, and he's a big fan of progesterone, and his go-to method, he has helped a lot of people with ADHD actually through progesterone supplementation. So I'm not saying to like quit your meds and do progesterone, but I'm just saying, because this is not like... If this continues the way you are right now, this is not a good thing. Maybe looking into alternatives. I know that the medication is really helping with you, and so that's amazing. But maybe if you can work with your doctor to get on a lower dose or maybe try a different one and or find some other options that might work. So in the meantime, other things that you could do to help with this. Okay, so her situation is that when she um, exercises, fasted, it brings it down, but then she eats and it spikes. And so she's saying, could she eat and then exercise after to reduce that spike? So I, I would not eat to lower your blood sugar. Like I would not make that the goal of eating. Actually, Marty Kendall, his whole thing, is it data-driven fasting? Oh, which speaking of tangent, if I may, he randomly DM'd me this week and was like, you've got to have Mark, is it Schatzker, The Dorito Effect? Oh, yeah. He's great. I love that book. Have you read the book? No, but you had mentioned it. And then people keep mentioning it. And then I actually saw a friend and he mentioned it. And then I came home and Marty Kendall was like, you need to interview this guy. There's the universe telling you. Yeah. So I actually have an email from him this morning. I haven't read it yet because I emailed him last night, but I think he is coming on. So... That'll be exciting. So um, Marty Kindle's thing, and actually Cynthia Thurlow in her new book, Intermittent Fasting Transformation, also talks about this. So they are a huge, huge pro- proponent of measuring your blood sugar levels before eating and not eating until your blood sugar levels are low. So it's actually the opposite of what you are proposing because you're proposing eating to lower them or eating to lower them and then exercising after. So like maybe you weren't proposing to actually eat to lower them, but you were going to move your exercise to afterwards. But they are a huge proponent of not eating when your levels are high. So I would say, again, this is all just my my thoughts and opinions, but I would exercise before and after. Like I would not, I would not switch. I would do as much as you can to help mitigate this. Definitely keep wearing a CGM. And this might be something where I would really, really, I know you're eating whole foods and it sounds you know, like a really quote healthy diet and all of that stuff, but I would play around with that because you do notice, you said that when you have a higher carb meal, it spikes even higher. So this might be a situation where low carb, you know, might be something that you might want to consider and see how you react with low carb. And then also... I I would really suggest something like berberine, an herb that rivals metformin in the clinical literature. I mean, you could also do metformin, I suppose. So metformin, the pharmaceutical, and berberine, the herb, have very impressive effects on lowering blood sugar levels. And berberine is debated on how it does it. There's a lot of potential mechanisms. So it's possible that it actually discourages the liver from engaging in that process I mentioned, from releasing the liver or from gluconeogenesis, creating new glucose, and or probably and, it seems to encourage or stimulate AMPK, which is normally created in the fat or stimulated in the fasted state and helps the body take up blood sugar and burn body fat. And it, it kind of creates a state of the body thinking there's like a, a fuel deficiency, which is a little bit ironic because the the stress hormones that I was talking about also are sort of similar because the body thinks it needs energy and it's releasing blood sugar, but something like berberine or metformin is going to have a different effect. It's actually going to help lower blood sugar. So that was a lot. Oh, also the half-life of these stimulants can be around like nine to 14 hours and potentially 72 hours to be cleared. So like you picked up on, that's likely why you're still having the issues over the weekend because it's still in your system. So I would not take this lightly. I would talk to your doctor, find an endocrinologist, 
wear a CGM and play with your dietary choices. Try low carb, try berberine and move around, exercise more. Cryotherapy might also help. That can help lower blood sugar levels. Yeah. Jen, thoughts? Well, I don't know how to add very much to that. (laughs) But what I would like to say is this just really illustrates how things that we put in our body, like this, this medication, change how our bodies function and what happens. So you know, thank goodness for CGMs pointing out what's happening, in, you know, in, in her body. So she now has the knowledge and can address it and, you know, talk to her doctors about what would be right for her if there might be another medication option that could give her the same mental health benefits that she's looking for and not the negative effects that she's seeing. So, you know, knowledge is power. Again, it's just fascinating to think about how many people are taking so many medications and they're additive, they add up. You know, you take one and then it gives you another issue related to that medication and then you have to take something else to counteract that and then you take something else and, you know, it just it just grows and grows, which is why I think most people in America are, t- are taking multiple medications. Like I can remember even, you know, before I was an intermittent faster, I had fibroids and I had to have them surgically removed. And this is in maybe 2013, and I was obese, but I went to the pre-op treatment or the pre-op appointment, and they're like, all right, what medications are you on? I'm like, none. (laughs) And they were like, what? Like somebody coming in, especially someone obese like me having surgery, but was on zero medications. Like like every person kept asking me, are you sure? And like, yeah, I'm promise you <laughs> I'm not on any but like the way that they reacted to me being on no medications in my 40s was eye opening we're not meant to just need a lot of medications and I'm not saying anything about you know her not needing it for ADHD clearly I'm not saying she shouldn't take it but it's just interesting you know like you mentioned there might be a natural approach that could help her brain like with Will I talked about in cleanish cleaning up his diet We kept him off medications. I'm sure he would have been diagnosed with all sorts of things had we not changed his diet. And, you know, we took out artificial flavors, artificial colors, preservatives. Again, that's that's nothing to do with Rebecca's situation. You know, the brain is complicated. You had Dr. Amen on your show before. I love Dr. Amen and the work that he does. I actually first saw him speak in person. It was a brain-based learning conference in 2006 in San Diego. And I I was fortunate enough to get to go there. My elementary school sent four of us to this conference. And he had a session on, you know, the brain and ADHD and all the different ways the brain can look, different types of of ADHD presentations. It was just fascinating. And I, I bought his book and then I got his book about, you know, the brain and weight loss. Fascinating. Yeah, I really, really love his book. He does the um, the brain spec scans. I actually got one at his clinic here in Atlanta, which was really cool. But yeah, and I, I was just Googling the stats. So well, this one study from 2018 said that, this is a government study, it said that 6.6% of U.S. adults use prescription stimulants in 2017. Yeah, just to bring it full circle, it's I mean, I bet so many people are experiencing this and they just wouldn't know. Yeah. If that many people are taking stimulants, wow. What was the percent you said? So the one I was just looking at said 6.6% of of Americans in 2017 had used uh, stimulant medication. So I don't know if that's the first thing that comes up says that prescription stimulants, 2.9 million people. That's for 2020. So regardless, it's not a small number. So this is something, though, that I think, Rebecca, we're happy that you found this out. I would definitely look into all of those things that I was talking about. And let us know. Let us know. Alrighty, Shall we go on to our next question? Yes. So we have a question from Christy, and the subject is weight gain. And Christy says, hi there. I've been doing IF for a short while, probably about seven months. I was doing the Dr. Bernstein diet as well from January until March and lost about 14 pounds. Do you know what is the Dr. Bernstein diet? Do you know, Jen? I don't really know. So I just looked it up and it is a low carb diet. Appropriately enough, it says an engineer by training, Bernstein pioneered blood glucose self-monitoring and the tight control of blood sugar 
that is now accepted as the standard treatment of diabetes. She says, I was doing the Dr. Bernstein diet as well from January until March and lost about 14 pounds. I normally work out five mornings a week at Orange Theory Fitness. Since COVID hit, I have gained so much weight. All the weight I have lost and probably another five pounds, despite being more strict with my eating window. I used to be 16-8, but now my fasting hours are 17 and a half to 18 hours. I usually open my window around 1230 and close it at 630. I still work out five days a week with at-home workouts, but they are not as good. I know for a fact I am not eating as clean as I should, but I do still eat relatively healthy with lots of vegetables and fruits. With that said, I do have a sweet tooth. I'm wondering if my body is reacting to having gone from such a restricted diet to now basically eating what I want. Have I messed up my metabolism? If so, how can I restart it? I am a 42-year-old mother of two who is a teacher consultant and under a lot of stress right now trying to get materials out to our amazing educators in our district. I'm feeling so gross. I need to get this figured out. Help. Thanks so much, Christy. All right. Well, we looked this one up and it turns out this one came in in April of 2020. So this was the height of when we were all in that pandemic stress. And there was so much stress-related weight gain going on during that particular window of time. And I was still on Facebook. I was in the Facebook groups. And what Christy wrote in right here, we were getting posts in the groups every single day that were exactly like this. It was help. I've been doing fasting. It's been working. All of a sudden, I'm gaining weight. But And so I it encouraged me at the time. I was like, I got to write a blog post about this and talk about it. So if you go to jenstevens.com, the blog directory, I, I actually released a blog post at that time that talked about the effect that stress can have on weight. Basically, you can gain weight based on being super stressed, your body's like, okay, we're we're gonna have to pack on some pounds because something really terrible is going on. So I talk about more of it in the in the blog post. So you can take a look there. But all this to say, it is completely normal to find that if you're going through something exceptionally stressful, weight gain is likely to come along with that. Now with Christy, I would say, you know, I mean, part of it is that physiological part that I talked about where your body starts storing more based on the stress response. But the other part is and I'm reading between the lines of Christie's post that she has changed up what she's eating and says she's not eating as clean as she should and having a sweet tooth, and she's basically eating whatever she wants. So I found that to be true for me during the early days of the pandemic as well. I was having cocktail hour every day and <laughs> baking more, and I had a little window creep, and my honesty pants started to get a little tight. And so I pulled out a, a fasting app. And went back to that. I was like, you know, I need a little bit more structure. I need to stop this window creep. I need to just nip that in the bud. And I need to also, I do not need to be baking cinnamon rolls and Irish soda bread and cookies all the time. And so I I knew that that was not helping my body. So I stopped doing all that. Now, am I still going to eat cinnamon rolls here and there? Yeah. But I didn't need to have, you know, something new coming on every day. So basically, I went back to how I had been eating. My honesty pants fit again. That's how it worked out. And I didn't need to keep using the app. So, you know, even though the pandemic stress of April 2020 is behind us, there's still a lot of stress in the world going on. There's always something new, especially if you're watching the news, something new to be stressed out about. And so it's almost like we're in this constant state of fight or flight. So if you are like Christy, finding that you're more stressed and suddenly you're having a different kind of weight gain than you had before, number one, examine your window, examine if you've really changed what you're eating. And if so, you know, be really honest with yourself. And you may need to, to make some tweaks there. But also understand you may, to, may need to do some mindful things to get your stress levels down. You need to take some time for yourself. Easier said than done if you've got family, small kids, job with lots of responsibilities, but you need to carve out some time for self-care, whatever that looks like for you. Even if it's getting up a little earlier and having meditation or yoga or prayer or taking a walk around the block or whatever feels like self-care to you so that you can let your body know, I'm going to be okay, because that makes a huge difference. Yeah, I think that's great. Actually, it kind of loops in a little bit to Rebecca's question just as far as there are, you know, physiological 
responses to our bodies being in a perceived stress state. So Rebecca's question, it was taking a stimulant medication that was telling her body to be in fight or flight mode with like the COVID situation and stress from life, it can have that same effect. And actually that was something I forgot to mention answering Rebecca's question was one of the studies was looking at why there is this increase in hyperglycemia, so blood sugar from the stimulant medications. And it theorized that it might be unique to the individual and their own stress response. There's that bio-individuality again. You know, some people drop weight when they're really stressed. It just, you know, it just, it's very, 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 very different from person to person. But I was choosing soothing foods like I said, the cinnamon rolls and stuff, because your your body drives you to that. You know, it's it's like kind of like, are you gaining weight because you're eating more or are you eating more because of the stress? But whatever it is, it's a very natural biological response driving you to eat those foods. Yeah, exactly. Oh, this might help explain because it can, it can seem confusing because, you know, the fasted state is in theory, you know, it's releasing adrenaline and it's releasing, it can release cortisol and it can also be that state of, you know, needing fuel. So how is that different from, you know, these other manifestations where we don't get health benefits? And the context is just so important. So cortisol, for example, when we release cortisol fasted, it can actually help our body free up fat stores and release glucose to burn, but it can have a beneficial effect in, you know, (laughs) burning through our body's stored energy. But if we have high cortisol and then we eat, it actually encourages fat storage. So people often say, you know, high cortisol levels create or lead to fat gain or weight gain, but it's it's always context dependent. Right. That's great because we hear that all the time from people like, yeah, but fasting is going to, you know, raise my cortisol and I'm going to gain a lot of weight. And like the key is, um, and actually I'm interviewing this week, Thomas DeLauer, and he talks about this a lot in his book, but basically- Cortisol while fasted can be a great thing because it will help you burn body fat. Cortisol while eating is not a good thing. So he talks about the importance of when you're breaking your fast, making sure that you your cortisol levels are reduced. And so, you know, you can do that by um, mindfulness practices like Jen was talking about, you know, meditation, breathing. But he also talks about supplements like magnesium or even salt can help reduce cortisol. So Yes, it's all all very important to take all the context into account. And um, also, Jen touched on this, and it was something I was going to touch on too, and I thought you did a nice job of this, Jen, but Christy definitely is giving, and again, this was a while ago, so maybe it's resolved, so I'd love to hear how it has gone for you, Christy. I feel like it's possible that there are things that you know that you might be aware that you're turning to food more for stress relief rather than nourishment. And so, because I, I, I don't know, I was looking at how she says I'm feeling so gross and like that feeling of grossness from food, it can often come from turning to foods that would make you feel gross, if that makes sense. I think language can be very revealing. I just really... I think it would be hard to feel gross from food if it's eating purely just for nourishment, if that makes sense. Do you have any thoughts? I would love to hear about how Christy's doing now. Again, like it, 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 that period of time, these the panicked Facebook posts were coming in left and right. <laughs> That's why I wrote that blog post, just because like people who had been maintaining for a long time suddenly were gaining. And they're like, has intermittent fasting stopped working? I'm like, that's not what happens. (laughs) Intermittent fasting doesn't stop working. It's always, quote, working behind the scenes. But it's not like a magic bullet when other things are starting to go out of whack. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. We have a question from Rosie. And the subject is those little pills. Hi, Jen. Hi, Melanie. My name is Rosie, and I live in London. I have recently begun my IF lifestyle and so found your fabulous podcast. I have binged up to episode 45 in the last week, and I am loving it. I started with a 16-8 window, but over the last three weeks, it has naturally shrunk to a 19-5. I'm interested to see how this changes when I am no longer furloughed from work. 
Anyway, to my question, how does IF work with contraceptive pills? I have recently changed back to pills from the contraceptive implant due to the lockdown. I can't get it replaced, so needs must. That's a very British way of saying it. (laughs) Should I be taking the pills during my window? Are they okay to pop in the morning as I do my makeup, my old routine? I know some can spike hunger in a big way, and I'm worried that I'm going to disrupt myself massively. Thank you so much for taking the time to do the research required to check this out and for giving me a new lease on my eating life, Rosie. And then she followed up to say, I can confirm that my pill is making me hungrier and more sleepy, which is annoying as it is making IF so much harder. I know I am in adjustment, so hopefully a month down the line, it will be much easier. So, but yes, so to answer the question, you can take your birth control pills fasted or not, I would just suggest, which it sounds like what Rosie is sort of doing, if, I mean, obviously go by the, what's the word, (laughs) what it says to do on the bottle, like the prescribed method of taking it, I would just experiment to find when taking it works the most seamlessly with your fasting. Because this kind of ties into the whole theme of today's episode that, you know, these things can have profound effects on our body's physiology. And so, we just, we have to work with that and um, adjust accordingly. Any thoughts about that, Jen? Yeah, just honestly, you know, take it when it works for you. It's not going to, if if you take it and you feel fine, that's fine. But if you take it and then you're starving and you feel shaky and nauseous, then change it. Take it at a different time based on how you feel. Now, she has more to her question. She said, I was just wondering, I am mainlining black coffee and I'm getting worried about coffee breath and staining on my teeth. Any hints and tips? My peppermint oil is in the post. I mentioned the charcoal tooth powder to my other half, and he was appalled and basically forbid me from putting black powder in his shiny white bathroom. I am incredibly clumsy and messy, so I can see his point. Thanks again, and thank you so much for all your super advice. I am now on episode 54, and I am both excited to catch up and sad that I'll only get one episode a week. Ha ha. Okay, so thank you for your question, Rosie. Yes, that black charcoal powder. There's like, I don't know, I think there's two things that I've experimented with that just get everywhere, and that would be activated charcoal powder and like spirulina and chlorella. It's just, it is not easy. Um, So there are alternatives. I actually really, really like, I've been using, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's White Birch Professional Teeth Whitening Serum. It's something that you brush your teeth with. I really like that. Also on Amazon, there are a lot of the professional at home teeth whitening kits, and it's where you put this gel, normally it's like a peroxide type gel in a tray, and you put in this light thing in your mouth, and those actually work really, really well. Because I know at the dentist, they can charge a ton of money to basically give you the same thing, and I found a lot on Amazon that work really well. But there is the potential for sensitivity, so you might want to take that into account. I also, I like to do oil pulling every morning. I really, really like that. So that's where you swish around an oil, sort of like like coconut oil. Some people use other things. I actually use MCT oil for about 20 minutes. I found that really, really helpful. Some of the toothpastes have, you know, whitening things for them. But yes, this is definitely something that happens. Jen, do you have advice? Well, no. As far as the coffee breath, she's got peppermint oil. I think we're good to go. But yeah, I was the same way about the charcoal. (laughs) I was making a giant mess. I'm like, okay, no. It gets everywhere. That's just so funny. It gave me like a little flashback of remembering it. and Like, yep. But there are some toothpaste that have... So the serum that I mentioned has white charcoal in it. And then there are some toothpaste that are made with charcoal. And so that... Yeah, I've I've seen those. Still, I don't, when you have your teeth all black, it's crazy. Oh, I know, I know. My problem used to be I used to get major stains from fruit, like my from the blueberries. <laughs> very, very bad. So, okay, you know that that'd be something that you would think. This would be something if somebody could invent something that fixed this problem with coffee stains. Think about how well that would sell. You'd think there would be something. Like, what do you mean? Like, there are a lot of, uh, you know, products out there that are targeted to coffee stains. Something preventative that somehow allows you to 
minimize coffee stain, kind of like when you're using straws, but you can't use straws with coffee. I just wonder if there's something out there that could, I don't know. I'm going to think about it. All right. So this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go, if you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can get all the stuff that we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. These show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 262. And you can follow us on Instagram. I am Melanie Avalon, Janice Jen Stevens. I think that is all the things. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? Nope, I think that's it. All right. Well, this was wonderful, and I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. Theme music by Leland Cox. See you next week.